take a seat, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokets and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Thursday, January 5th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to the show. We're coming to you live from beautiful, legal, freezing, cold Potland, Oregon, from Delta 9 Studios. <laughs> and we're literally freezing cold. It's like below 32 here, which is kind of rare. Uh, and I know everybody listening to me... Uh, East of where I'm at is probably guffawing at me uh, for complaining. It's dry out, so we're not facing the mounds of snow that they're getting in southern Oregon, that you're getting uh, my friends out there in Idaho. I've seen some of their pictures with feet of snow. And, of course, back east, snow everywhere you look, but not here. Just cold, really freezing cold out here. But we'll warm up here. We've got some uh, small fires to light, if you know what I mean, as we enjoy our legal cannabis here in the state of Oregon and the legal Pacific time zone. We've got a lot of information to bring to you today. I've been doing a lot of research today on medical marijuana because I just got the information from the state of Arkansas on their decision about their medical marijuana licensing fees. Uh, we're going to talk about that in Drug War Data Mining today. Not only the latest information from Arkansas, but a look at some of the other medical marijuana states that are making it extremely difficult for anybody but the 1% to cultivate medical marijuana as a business. And it's just a, a further indication of how the money angle in marijuana may be undoing some of the legalization that we would like to see. So we'll talk about that coming up in drug war data mining. Also on the show, we'll have time to uh, get behind the headlines. We're going to talk a little bit about the NFL and their substance abuse bans. Uh, there's an, another player uh, from the number one seeded Dallas Cowboys in the NFC uh, who has been popped for his marijuana use. So we'll talk about that coming up in Behind the Headlines. Also on the show today, we'll have uh, time to talk about uh, the continuing underground market in America and how the regulations that are being designed in this country for both medical and recreational marijuana are just guaranteeing that that underground market will not only continue, but flourish. So we'll take a look at that. We've also got some uh, updates on industrial hemp to tell you about, some uh, new state laws and some more data on the states that are growing industrial hemp. And we'll also take a look at the, uh, the regulations in Colorado where the former medical or the former marijuana enforcement division head has moved on to the state's uh, Colorado Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, moving from the regulatory world into the business world, which is something we see all the time at the federal level and at the state level for that matter. And why should the marijuana business be any different? The revolving door from business to regulator, regulator to business. As this continues to unfold throughout America, 
We're going to have to be very diligent about maintaining the rights and privileges of the consumers. But all that comes right after the Cannabis Radio News. And in the headlines today, we've got a possibility of medical marijuana home grow in New Hampshire with a catch. We've got a look at Connecticut to trying to help military veterans with medical cannabis. The state of Georgia may be looking at another medical marijuana bill or perhaps a referendum. We've got a candidate for mayor in Atlanta who is supportive of reforming marijuana laws. New data from Kentucky's hemp production. The story on Dallas Cowboys defensive end Randy Gregory and more when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis legalization efforts are increasing competition for businesses wanting to make it big. In this complex and fast-changing environment, only the savviest will survive. What are you going to do to stay ahead of the game? Enter New Frontier's free platform, Equio, the premier business intelligence, visualization, and marketing platform for the cannabis industry. With Equio, you can stay on top of your store's sales, trends, and competition, better understand your seasonality and broader sales trends, identify and compare your top products and categories, and cross-buying opportunities. Go to www.equio.io to sign up for your free membership today. That's EQUIO.io to sign up now. The power of real time big data is now in your hands. Run with New Frontier and let us help you conquer the wild. Fortunate to have Michael Brewer of Brewer and Shipley. Your signature top 10 song, One Toke Over the Line. I've read a couple different versions of, of what the tune's origins are. What's the true story? We were playing a little club in Kansas City. A friend stopped by with some really good hash. We stepped out back and came back in. We're tuning up in the dressing room, and Tom said, Man, I'm really One Toke Over the Line. And I just cracked up. I thought it was hysterical. We literally wrote that song just entertaining ourselves and to make our friends laugh. It's time to Hemp Resent, only on Cannabis Radio. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville Show is. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. 
This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, January 5th, 2017. Patients using medicinal marijuana would be able to grow their own plants if a bill seeking to legalize homegrown medicinal cannabis is successful in the New Hampshire legislature this year. The bill would make New Hampshire the second-to-last state in New England to legalize homegrown medicinal marijuana. Connecticut is the only other New England state that still outlaws growing marijuana at home. Currently in draft form, the bill's language calls for allowing patients who live more than 30 miles from the nearest medical marijuana dispensary to grow medical marijuana. State Representative Rennie Cushing, a Democrat from Hampton, the bill's sponsor, said the wording of the bill could be altered again before it is introduced, including its 30-mile halo rule. Connecticut Representative Melissa H. Ziobron introduced a bill this week that would waive the registration and administrative fees for military veterans that qualify to become a medical marijuana patient in Connecticut. Marijuana can help veterans who suffer from PTSD to chronic pain, which is why veterans are increasingly turning to cannabis for relief. But for many veterans, the cost of applying to become a medical marijuana patient in states like Connecticut is too steep. No one knows for sure how many veterans are prevented from becoming a medical marijuana patient in Connecticut due to the cost. Georgia's legislature convenes next week, and marijuana reform is already at the top of one of at least one representative's list. Georgia State Representative Alan Peek supports medical marijuana in the state of Georgia and has made it clear he wants to introduce a medical marijuana bill this session, saying, quote, We still face some stiff opposition from law enforcement as well as some faith-based organizations. Maybe the best solution is let's let the Georgia citizens decide by referendum in 2018, and we'll let the next governor decide how it's implemented, end quote, said Peek. Georgia State Senator Vincent Fort has written a letter to Peachtree Normal indicating his plan to run for mayor of Atlanta and his disdain for racially disproportionate marijuana arrests. Quote, we are losing a generation of young people of color due to arrests for possession of marijuana, wrote Fort, adding, quote, it is immoral and unethical for this city to spend our tax dollars locking kids up instead of lifting them out of this vicious cycle of poverty. And, quote, it is no coincidence that a WSB TV report last year found that 93 percent of Atlanta's marijuana possession arrests were African-Americans, end quote. Kentucky's experiment with hemp production is yielding more acreage and more processors. Farmers gained approval to plant nearly three times more hemp than a year ago as testing accelerates on its viability as a cash crop, the state's agriculture department said Thursday. State agricultural officials approved 209 applications from growers, allowing them to produce up to 12,800 acres of hemp this year. Experimental projects began in Kentucky with a mere 33 acres in 2014. Last year, 137 growers were approved to plant up to 4,500 acres. Increased production is attracting more processors, who now total about 40 in the state of Kentucky. Dallas Cowboys defensive end Randy Gregory was suspended for at least a year Thursday for another violation of the NFL's substance abuse policy. It's the third time this season Gregory has been suspended. The first was a four-game ban, followed by 10 games on top of that. The latest suspension makes him ineligible for the playoffs, which start January 15th for Dallas, the top seed in the NFC. The 24-year-old former Nebraska standout slid to the second round of the 2015 draft over off-field concerns that included a positive test for marijuana at the NFL Combine. 
The Nye County Sheriff's Office says a Parham man in Nevada has been arrested after offering a deputy $30,000 to avoid arrest for his marijuana growing operation. The sheriff's office says 51-year-old Robert S. Barons went to the sheriff's office in Parump Wednesday and asked to meet with a, with a sergeant. Authorities say Barons told the sergeant that an inmate at the county jail had told him the officer was shady, and Barons asked the sergeant if he'd be willing to ignore Barons' illegal marijuana plants in Amargosa Valley. Deputies say Barons repeated the offer in front of an undercover officer, saying he'd give $30,000 to avoid arrest. The officers then arrested Barons and booked him into the Nye County Jail on suspicion of bribery and burglary. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, January 5th, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents the newest and greatest podcast in the galaxy, The Real Dirt with Chip Baker, your insider industry connection to accurate and entertaining information about cannabis technology, production, cultivation, and everything in between. Rolling joints and dropping knowledge about cannabis technology, production, cultivation, and everything in between. The future of legal cannabis has arrived, and we want to give you The Real Dirt with Chip Baker. Baker. Look for new episodes at CannabisRadio.com, TheRealDirt.com, or subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we're taking a look at a survey that was uh, written about on LiveScience.com. It appears in the Journal of Cannabis and Cannabinoid uh, Therapies. And uh, it's about the uh, bud tenders that you might run into at a dispensary. The researchers involved with this study surveyed 55 
uh, dispensary staff members. This was throughout uh, Colorado, California, Arizona, Oregon, D.C., Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and Maine. And uh, this was both at medical and non-medical facilities. And what the researchers found is that 55% of the staff members surveyed, 30 out of the 55, had received any sort of formal training for their current positions. That is to say, 25 out of the 55 bud tenders uh, had no training whatsoever. Uh, According to this uh, survey, 20% had received any medical training on the health effects of marijuana, and just 13% received any training on the science of marijuana. Moreover, some of the dispensary staff members in the study made recommendations to people who were purchasing marijuana that were not accurate or appropriate for treating the customer's conditions. For example, 13% of the staff members in the study said they had recommended types of marijuana that are high in levels of THC to patients who were trying to treat anxiety. Previous research has shown that THC may make anxiety worse. 7% of the staff members recommended THC for treating epilepsy, where again, CBD has been seen to be more effective in treating epilepsy. 35% of the dispensary staff members had received customer service training, 26% business training, 20% medical training, 13% scientific training, and another 20% had received some other type of training that might have involved learning about cannabis. Yet 94% of the study's participants said they had provided advice to customers, including recommending which strains they should use and how marijuana could benefit particular symptoms. The most common symptoms reported by the staff members were chronic pain, insomnia, and anxiety. According to the staff members, 62% said they always or often checked in or followed up with their customers after their purchases. Uh, Again, this is in the Journal of Cannabis and Cannabinoid Research. Overall, staff members were more likely to recommend marijuana with an equal ratio of THC to CBD for people with anxiety, PTSD, or trauma, and Crohn's disease, rather than recommending marijuana high in THC. The staff members were also more likely to recommend marijuana with high levels of CBD for customers with ALS, epilepsy, and muscle spasms. And, of course, that's what the research would suggest as well. And some staff members uh, did make recommendations that were not appropriate. Ten percent of staff members recommended high CBD to those who wanted to increase their appetite. And again, it's THC that seems to work on the appetite, not CBD that works on the appetite. And I'm all for us getting more information to the customers and having better trained uh, dispensary employees. The only worry I have is that it could provide yet another way of increasing the costs for the customer by requiring this level of training. We do have, uh, you know, a required level of training in most states when it comes to alcohol servers. You have to know when someone's too intoxicated and so forth. In Washington state, And I believe also in Colorado, the people working on the recreational side of the market aren't allowed to make recommendations regarding the health benefits or how it may affect someone for a particular condition. So the rules vary from state to state, but I believe it's time that we we start getting some sort of of um, of mandatory training for these uh, butt tenders, for people that are going to be working with the public, especially as we move. Uh, more edibles and more concentrates into the market. These items need better advice for the general public, especially the newbies who may not know what they are doing. 
We do need some consistency and some sort of standardization for this training. And some of that is more difficult because of the inconsistent science regarding the effects marijuana may have on different conditions. But the better standardized we can make this and the better trained we can have our dispensary employees, the better experience people will have in the legal marijuana markets and the less problems we'll have moving forward. Oh, piggy can run. All right, that sound means that it's 20 after, and that means it's time for us to take a break. Got to pay some of the bills, and if you'd like to help us pay the bills, we're always taking donations here at the Russ Bell Show. You can PayPal them to Russ at RadicalRuss.com. All the money you send in goes toward travel budget and booking fees and hotels and computers and licenses and all the stuff that keeps this show running. Maui Wowie, Acapulco Gold, California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Equio, New Frontier's cutting-edge big data platform, puts the information and answers you need right at your fingertips in real time to help you more effectively run your cannabis business. Go to www.equio.io to sign up for your free membership today. Again, that's www.equio.io. Run with New Frontier and let us help you conquer the wild. Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show. Uh, St. Peter auditioning to be the Microsoft Weed Software uh, spokesman. Hey, this is St. Peter for Microsoft. They track weed. Does that mean they're going like, to track the weed? Is that what this is about, Jesus? I'm not going to be tracked, Jesus. I'm not going to have my fucking weed tracked, and I'm not going to have fucking Microsoft track me back to my fucking house through my weed to where they fucking spied on people with that goddamn Xbox camera. Fuck this. Fuck Microsoft. Fuck this bullshit. The Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, the national wildlife refuge for marijuana unicorns. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of the Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Well, the state of Arkansas has become the latest medical marijuana state to exclude small business opportunities by setting outrageous fees and capital requirements for a tiny few marijuana licenses. Uh, This is a report from, uh, I forget what the news source was, but they write, the Medical Marijuana Commission decided on a $100,000 license fee for Arkansas's growers of medical marijuana. 
The fee is on top of the $15,000 fee decided by the commission just to apply. If an applicant is rejected, half the application fee will be refunded. The commissioners also decided on basic financial requirements for applicants hoping to have a cultivation facility. They voted that applicants must show proof of $1 million in assets or a surety bond, or a surety bond, I should say, and must also show proof of $500,000 in cash. Yeah, so you or your company needs to be worth at least $1.5 million to even be considered for growing medical cannabis. Then you need to be willing to bet half your $15,000 application fee that they'll pick you. And if they do, you need to pay them $100,000 for your license. And the state is only awarding five licenses for growing medical cannabis. There is no limit, however, on how many applications they'll accept. And really, the more the better, because every application over the first five is a guaranteed free $7,500 for the state of Arkansas. Now, if this naked cash grab couldn't be more apparent, the commissioners ruled that the five cultivation licenses wouldn't have to be located, one in each of the state's health districts, as they had decided before. I mean, gosh, that might better serve patients. You know, the ones located in the more rural areas of the state. No, no, now they've decided that the five grow sites can be located anywhere. And the commission will favor the locations that can be shown to have the greatest economic impact. You know, the important part of medical marijuana law. How, how much money could we make from it? Arkansas's law also lacks any provision for patients and their caregivers to cultivate their own cannabis. Of course, that further benefits the state in its desire to tax medical cannabis products, and it further benefits the five wealthy license holders from whom the patients will be forced to shop. Now, don't think that Arkansas is inventing the wheel here. This is They're just following along the, uh, the precedent that has been set by a lot of the other medical marijuana states. For example, in Florida... 24 applicants who had to show $5 million in capital escrow paid over $60,000 each for a shot at just six grow licenses that cost $300,000 per year. That means Florida made over $1 million just from the non-refundable application fees. In Hawaii, 66 applicants who had to show $1 million in capital escrow, paid $75,000 each for a shot at 16 grow licenses that cost $50,000 per year. So Hawaii made $3.75 million just from the non-refundable application fees. In Connecticut, 16 applicants who had to show $2 million in capital escrow paid $25,000 each for a shot at four grow licenses that cost $75,000 per year. So Connecticut made $300,000 just from the non-refundable application fees. In Illinois, 159 applicants paid $25,000 each for a shot at 21 grow licenses that cost $200,000 per year. 
That means Illinois made $3.45 million just from the non-refundable application fees. And in Pennsylvania, where they don't have the dispensary system up yet, the state will require a $10,000 non-refundable application fee, $1.5 million in capital escrow, and a half million dollars cash on hand for a shot at 12 grow licenses that will cost $200,000 per year. So based on my research where I was able to find the application fees, the capital requirements, the total number of licenses, and the total number of applications, I put it all in a spreadsheet, figured it all out, and based on my research, nine medical marijuana states have made over $10 million just from non-refundable medical marijuana grow license application fees. Over $10 million for people handing in pieces of paper. So I'm a little concerned that what we're seeing in the development of medical marijuana since about 2010 have been systems that focus on the commercial aspect of it and that limit medical marijuana production to just the best connected, most capitalized performers in the market. This is a disservice to the patients. Unlike we have states like uh, Maine and Colorado and Washington that don't set a limit on how many producers there can be. And even though they keep their licensing fees down to the four figures, maybe five figure level, they still make more money every year than these other states because they have so many more producers paying that fee. Arkansas, you're going the wrong direction on this. We need more growers, not fewer. All right, stay tuned. We'll be back with a blast from the past talking about him when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com. The National Cannabis Industry Association presents the Seed to Sale Show, January 31st and February 1st at the Colorado Convention Center in Denver. Register now at www.seedtosaleshow.com or 888-409-4418. The NCIA Seed to Sale Show, the largest cannabis business event to be held in Denver, will host over 2,000 cannabis professionals and focus on innovations and technology in cultivation, infused products and extraction, and sales strategies. The show will recognize the best in the industry with the Cannovation and Canatech Awards. Register before January 6th for $100 savings at seedtosaleshow.com. Use the code RADIO15 for an additional 15% off. Plan your experience now for the NCIA Seed to Sale Show, January 31st and February 1st. Seedtosaleshow.com or 888-409-4418.
1st, 2015, adult marijuana prohibition came to an end in Oregon. Immediately, over 400,000 adults who consumed cannabis responsibly were no longer criminals. This is what freedom sounds like. Brought to you by Portland Normal. You're listening to Radical Russ on the Russ Belleville Show. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. The global prohibition of cannabis is a crime against the planet committed primarily by the United States. But as more U.S. states reform their marijuana laws, countries around the world are stepping back from cannabis prohibition. Join us now for a look at the international cannabis reform movement in this edition of The Wide World of Weed. Welcome back, everybody. It is 33 after the hour. We're coming to you live from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We are on site at the International Cannabis Business Conference and Expo. And right at this very moment, uh, the guru of ganja, Ed Rosenthal, is receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award. And, uh, man, I wish I was in that other room right now because he said he was going to have quite a fiery speech lined up. We'll uh, have to find out later what he actually said. But joining me here at the desk, a good friend of the show, my sativa sister from Seattle, uh, who rode with me on the Amtrak train, although we didn't know we were on the Amtrak train together. It's Joy Beckerman from Hemp Ace International. She's joining us here. And uh, welcome back, Joy. So great to be here every single time, Radical Russ. Right on, right on. So here we are in Canada, and I understand that they had a, uh, a shortage on, the, uh, on one of the panels, and you got to uh, kind of dish on Canadian hemp. How awesome is that, that I got to pinch hit with Miss Jamie Shaw and, and Dieter McPherson and yeah. Kirk So Yes, indeed, because there are some interesting things happening in Canada as well, even though, of course, they legalized here industrial hemp in 1998, but uh, uh, are, are an excellent sort of a case study of how we continue to be vigilant this many years later. Again, as I mentioned today, the Canadian hemp farmers are not allowed to collect plant material, so the flowering parts, leaves, even the bracts around the seeds for that uh, non-intoxicating phytocannabinoid extraction and are really um, beginning to ramp up the fight for that right. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm so focused on the marijuana issue and, and somewhat medical. Uh, every time I get to talk to you in depth about hemp and we get into some of these weird little quirks of how the laws are set up in Canada, they can harvest all the, 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 the fiber stuff, but they can't use the leaf and the, the veggie material. In America, the, in some of the states, the, the marijuana producers can use all the marijuana material but can't use the stocks. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, Thank you. One. Yes, indeed. So in Canada, mostly 
really, and the big issue with industrial hemp is that we need infrastructure. So with marijuana, you grow marijuana, you cure marijuana, you dry marijuana, you smoke marijuana, and or you further extract it. Now that infrastructure for marijuana extraction, cannabis extraction, can be very expensive, but in terms of its comparison of being able to process the industrial hemp seed uh, for oil uh, on a large scale and for seed cake milling for our protein powders um, and our decortication infrastructure, meaning the separating of that outer bast fiber of the stalk from that inner woody core, all of that infrastructure and all of that machinery is we're talking tens of millions of dollars. And then further, if we're going to uh, take that fiber and move it into um, further manufacturing involving textiles or paper, we actually need new infrastructure for that. We're not just going to be able to take hemp fiber and move it into a cotton sort of lateral move. It doesn't work like that. Hemp is its own unique uh, fiber in that respect. And it's the same thing with paper. We can't just move hemp pulp into uh, a wood pulp uh, paper making process. We have to actually get new equipment to be able to process hemp pulp. So having said that, back to the fact that the extraction of phytocannabinoids, whether it's marijuana or it's industrial hemp, being far less expensive... Our hemp farmers, of course, whether we're in North America, whether we're in the United States or whether we're in Canada, want to be able to use those that biomass to uh, not only not to waste it, because, of course, farmers are not into wasting biomass at all, but to use it for its get it out into the public for the valuable medicine that it is, but also to be able to, you know, generate revenue from it. So since 1998, the, uh, the farmers here have not been able to extract phytocannabinoids. They still are unable to. And yes, in America, whereas in Canada they have federal law, in America we have 50 different laws, and in fact 31 states that have actually passed some type of legislation for industrial hemp. Um, and of those states, I divided into three, sec- three categories of legalization. So some, let's take Colorado, have just been like, we're legalizing. We don't care that there's some federal path to do it, that there's some a- amendment, you silly farm bill people uh, passed on a federal level. We're just going to do what we want to do, and they do extraction. They do fiber. They do seeds to the extent that they have, of course, limited infrastructure to process fiber and seeds. They have a tremendous infrastructure to process extraction. Then we have these two other categories that have actually followed this pathway that the feds have laid out, which is section 7606 of the Farm Bill. And these two different categories are, okay, we actually are going to legalize under a research program, but we're going to allow for plant material collection and the extraction of phytocannabinoids. And then we have states like Washington, which we just legalized hemp in March of 2016. I know that comes as a shock to folks because folks think, think that we legalized it when we legalized marijuana in 2012. We like Canada, have written into our law that our hemp farmers will not be able to collect plant material and uh, extract for phytocannabinoids. The silver lining to that is that uh, states that have uh, legalized in that same respect as Washington and or as Canada, not allowing the farmers to do that, will move forward with the oil, seed, and fiber. 
And the oilseed and fiber in the long run is the trillion dollar industry with industrial hemp. So phytocannabinoid extraction is a smaller portion, obviously, of what industrial hemp's true potential is. But it's fascinating that a non-intoxicating of the 144 cannabinoids that we know of, only 143 of them, I believe, so far have we nailed as intoxicating. And that's even the decarboxylated form of one of them. Um, But uh, yeah, not allowed to. So literally, we're talking about wasted biomass. It must be left in Canada and in states like Washington on farm. Cannot be processed. Must stay on the farm. In in sense. Wow. And when we're talking about this extraction of phytocannabinoids from the plant material of industrial hemp, that's uh, the longhand version of getting CBD from hemp. That's yes. basically they're trying they're trying to make this workaround of oh the CBD oil is good for the kids but marijuana is illegal but hemp will will make that and this is where we get into that murky area of these sellers that are saying oh we've got this legal CBD it's legal in all fifty states and maybe you can dish Thank on that you. a bit yeah indeed and and it's such a gray area it's a fascinating area because it's developing so rapidly it's like don't blink something changed in either a regulation or not but but so I think the big drumbeat that that the DEA of course is being all the while is that cannabinoids, phytocannabinoids come from the resins of the plant. And that if you look at the definition of marijuana in the Controlled Substances Act, you'll see that in those two sentences, the word resin is used three times. It's used twice within the first sentence that discusses marijuana, and it's used once in the second sentence that discusses the exclusion of industrial hemp within marijuana. But the issue is that it discusses itself in that sentence as an exception to the exclusion. So when it says uh, such term, meaning marijuana, does not include the mature stocks thereof, and it goes on, it then has a parenthetical that says, except the resins therefrom. So what the architects of, of the Nixon administration, although you know I, being the nerd that I am, I can't help but say that this definition is actually taken word for word from the 1937 Marijuana Tax Act, the architects of that definition of marijuana wanted to make sure we knew that whether you are talking about marijuana or whether you were talking about the exception for marijuana, which is industrial hemp, those resins are off limits. So, having said that, the DEA beats that drum. We have, however, such a defensible uh, network of holes big enough to drive a hemp CBD truck through, whether it's various new law, the definition of industrial hemp that was written in the uh, Section 7606, which does not include a carve-out for resin. So this new definition, which is historical, uh, which was included in that farm bill, that distinguishes industrial hemp from marijuana for the first time in U.S. history, simply defines it as any part of the plant cannabis sativa, whether growing or not, with a THC concentration of not greater than 0.3% um, on a dry weight basis. So no carve-out for the resins. This is a hole big enough to drive a truck through. We're saying, yay. At Section 7606, you're allowing us to use any part of the industrial hemp plant without a carve-out. Then we have the subsequent language in Consolidated Appropriations Act, as you know, because medical marijuana is also being protected in these budgetary bills that the U.S. Congress passes each year, saying that the Department of Justice and the, and the Drug Enforcement Administration are not allowed to use certain funds to prosecute state legal and state-compliant actors, and that includes industrial hemp as well. Um, having said that, uh, there is... 
the USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, the DEA, and the FDA, our Food and Drug Administration, and our U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Those are the four federal agencies that you want to be looking at for this constantly changing regulation, policies, and practices as concerns hemp-derived CBD. In the end, they all are agreeing and they are all putting out there that no, they do not intend for industrial hemp under research federal law to be grown for folks to be extracting phytocannabinoids from that. It's totally defensible, but the but the feds are, are telling us that no, they, they are not condoning that. The issue is they're neither enforcing it nor going after these actors. Um, and so we continue to just consider ourselves uh, to, to be uh, defending um, what we're doing. But in the plain letter of the law, when we say on all these websites it's legal in all 50 states, it's a leap. It's a, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to condemn anybody for, for making those claims. Um, you know, being on the law side of things, I, I don't say that because I don't believe that claim. It's a defensible claim. Let's there leave it go. at that. Well, we just have a, a, about a minute and a half left here, and Jamie Shaw is right in front of the desk here. So I thought we'd say hi to Jamie, and uh, thank you for getting uh, Joy on your panel today. Oh, yeah. It was awesome that she was able to do it. We had some uh, late-minute, last-minute cancellations and uh, found out that Joy was also a member of the Canadian Hemp Alliance. So that was amazing, and she killed it. All right. So uh, just real quickly here, uh, what are some of the main or maybe the main thing you'd like to get across to people listening about Canadian activism and how they can help? Oh, geez. You know, it's it's honestly, it's it's very similar to what's going on in the States. The, the specific issues are, are different, but we see the same patchworks. We see the same cities moving forward with sensible regulations and making compromises in certain areas. And we see other places doing the opposite or going in different directions. Um, up here where dispensaries are still illegal, according to the government, it's fascinating to us when places like Louisiana pass legislation that allows them to have dispensaries. Um, so it's a little mind-boggling here. But, uh, you know, ultimately, I think we're all going the same way. We're all going the same place. We all kind of want the same things, ultimately. Um, and there's some differing opinions about how to get there, as, as you know very well yourself from your conversations with Be Real this week. Yes, yes. <laughs> Certainly learned a lot from that. Well, <laughs> I, I'm learning a ton about what's going on in Canada and up here at the ICBC. So many great Canadian activists to learn from. Uh, Jamie, thanks so much. And, and do you have any uh, contacts you want to give out to people if they'd like more information? Uh, sure. Well, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's Jamie S.A. Shaw um, or Jamie Shaw on Facebook. Um, All right. Yeah, those, are, those would be good places to check. All right. And, and for you, uh, Joy, any uh, contact information for people? Thank you so much. HempAce.com and at HempAce on Twitter. Joy Beckerman on Facebook. Right on. Love all right. you, Jamie Shaw, goddess. <laughs> Back at you, girl. <laughs> That's all the time we got for this interview. So thank you so much for stopping by, learning a little bit more about what's happening all around the world. When we come back, we'll have time for a radical rant on the racist, homophobic, reefer madness of Maine Governor Paul LePage. Stay tuned. Hell, that's a rant you could do just about any day of the week, isn't it? <clears throat> My thanks to uh, Joy Beckerman and uh, Jamie Shaw. That was an interview recorded in Vancouver, B.C. earlier this year. Stay tuned, because when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the NFL's continuing marijuana idiocy. They suspended another player for a year for failing a marijuana test. We'll be right back.
This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. (sighs) Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Today I started smoking my weed again. I'm right back where I really always been. I got over my weed just long enough let my probation end. And today I started smoking my weed again. Hey, boy, pass me that joint. <laughs> Chong's choice. <laughs> the Tommy Chong Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit. The International Cannabis Business Conference comes to San Francisco, California on February 16th and 17th, 2017. The ICBC San Francisco, Northern California's first business-to-business event since the recent historic election, will bring together top state regulators and industry leaders to discuss permits, business models, and opportunities within the newly enacted laws and landscape. Of course, the ICBC also famously offers some of the best cannabis industry networking, leveraging our worldwide following to connect wholesalers, brands, distributors, investors, and strategic partners. And don't forget to come early for our VIP reception and stay late for our legendary after party. Join us for the longest continuously running cannabis business conference in California at the Hilton San Francisco Union Square, the one and only International Cannabis Business Conference. Visit internationalcbc.com for tickets today. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Well, once again, the No Fun League, the NFL, has suspended a star player for his use of marijuana. This time it's Randy Gregory, who's a defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, Gregory uh, had failed a drug test at the NFL Combine 
Because of that, he fell out of the first round of the draft where he was expected to be chosen all the way to the second round of the draft where he was chosen 60th by the Cowboys. Now, the uh, fall in his draft position, of course, also corresponds to a fall in how much money he could get for his contract. And this is one of the aspects of these drug test suspensions and these drug test revelations in the combine that I think doesn't get enough coverage is that by reducing this guy's stance in the draft, it's costing him money and it's also saving these teams money. They're getting superstar performers at bargain basement prices. Now, of course, that bargain basement price comes with the risk that the NFL may end up suspending that player, as has happened with Gregory. Now, he slipped it, like I said, slipped down to the uh, second round in 2015. He was the 60th overall pick. In his rookie season, he played 12 games before he suffered an ankle sprain. Uh, and uh, actually, 12 games as a rookie after suffering an ankle sprain. My apologies. So this season, he's been mostly on the bench because he failed uh, one of the NFL's drug tests and got suspended for four games and then failed another drug test and got suspended for 10 games. So the NFL season is only 16 games, folks. He got suspended for the first 14 games of 2016 for smoking pot. So he is able to play in the last two games of the season. In his second game, he finally registered his first career sack and now he has yet failed a third drug test and uh, the NFL has announced he's suspended for a year and that's calendar year. So that's as of now, January 5th through January 5th of next year. So the next possible time Randy Gregory might be able to play for the Cowboys is if they make next year's playoffs. This is getting ridiculous to continue suspending these players. And and the thing that really cracks me up about it is how many of these players that they're suspending who are superstars at their positions. Recall that the NFL suspended multiple times Josh Brown, the wide receiver who had been with the Cleveland Browns. When Josh was playing, or Josh Gordon, excuse me, when he had been playing for the Cleveland Browns, he set that year's receiving record. Individual receiving record is something like 1600 yards or something like that. He was over 200 yards ahead of number two of the second place player in receptions. And he set that mark playing only 14 games of the 16 game season because he had been suspended for a couple games for smoking pot. We had Ricky Williams, who famously was suspended. Probably the most famous medical marijuana-using player ever was suspended multiple times for his use of marijuana and yet was the NFL's leading rusher one of those years and a very good running back in, in the rest of the years as well. So the NFL suspending these guys for their use of marijuana when these guys are the top performers at their positions makes you wonder what the hell they're doing it for. It's obviously not affecting these guys' abilities. Tyran Matthew, the uh, the honey badger, defensive, uh, is he a safety or a corner? I can't remember. Another guy, top player, you know, highly rated coming out of college, who falls in draft position because it's discovered he used marijuana. 
So it can't be for performance reasons. It can't be for the good of the players because it doesn't seem to be affecting the players' abilities on the field whatsoever. You'd think if marijuana was some, somehow debilitating to these guys, then the people getting suspended would be these second-string and third-string bench riders. And that's rarely the case. It's oftentimes starters and superstars and all pros that are getting taken down by this substance abuse designation by failing the NFL's P-tests. And keep in mind that failing the NFL's P-test is easier to do than most sports leagues' P-tests. The NFL is testing down to 35 nanograms of metabolite. Now, they had raised that from 15 nanograms of metabolite. Yay. But compared to other sports leagues, like Major League Baseball tests at 50 nanograms, National Hockey League doesn't even test. The Olympics, the international standard, and the mixed martial arts standard, and the boxing standard all throughout America and the world is 150 nanograms. And all of these leagues that set this high standard set it for the same reason. They always come back and say, look, we, we just want to make sure no one's smoking pot in the ring or on the track or on the field or on the rink or whatever it might be. We just want to make sure that they're not currently high. If we set it too low, we're just going to be catching people that smoke on their off time like what they're doing with the NFL. And when it comes to this drug testing for sports, obviously it's not being done for the health of the players, not being done to you know protect them any. It's not being done to protect the integrity of the game because obviously some of these guys are the top performing athletes. It's being done for moral reasons. That's the only reason the sports leagues continue to suspend players for their use of marijuana. It's not performance enhancing. It's not performance reducing. It's merely illegal in some states and frowned upon by lots of people, including the pharmaceutical industry and the alcohol industry who so heavily advertise during the NFL games. If you want to have any idea what's behind all of this. And the tragedy of this, of course, is what we know about medical cannabis, how it can benefit the players in the NFL, particularly when we're talking about the head trauma that they suffer. It's bad enough that they, you know, that we're pumping these guys full of Vicodins and Oxycontins and, and Dilaudid and fentanyl and all these other massively addictive, heavy duty opiate painkillers. That's bad enough for the guys that are just dealing with chronic pain. But when it comes to head trauma, nothing is superior to the use of cannabis in dealing with concussion, in dealing with traumatic brain injury, in dealing with chronic traumatic encephalopathy. The, the research that we get out year after year on this is proving that it is a crime to not let these NFL players use it. When these guys get their bell rung on the field, the first step in the concussion protocol ought to be taking him to the sideline and a full bag of volcano vaporizer uh, cannabis ready to go for him. Okay, maybe not on the sideline. Maybe we don't want the kids to see it. But at least back in the locker room, they ought to be puffing on a vaporizer bag first thing. We know that the immediate introduction of cannabinoids into someone who has recently suffered a concussion or head trauma can reduce the amount of damage by up to 50%. 
So this is just criminal what we're doing to these players. And it's no surprise if these NFL players like Randy Gregory are turning to cannabis for pain relief, are turning to cannabis for their head trauma. It's also good for their anxiety. These guys are living a practice every day, put your body on the line lifestyle every day. It can be very stressful. And to punish them for that is just barbaric. But on the other hand, I'm a Packers fan, so anything that makes the Cowboys team easier to beat, <laughs> I guess I can I guess I can look the other way this time. Not really. Just kidding. Hey folks, that's all the time we got for hour one, but stay tuned. We got a whole nother hour coming up. We'll talk more about the cannabis news of the day. And take your live calls at 650-LEGAL-MJ. That's 650-534-2565. For everyone here at Delta 9 Studios and CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Bellville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Now it's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can toke. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man and Snoopy Snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, all right, all right. Welcome, everybody. Time for Toker Talk Radio. We're just trying to keep warm here at Delta 9. It is freezing cold outside in beautiful legal potland, Oregon. So we're just uh, curled up by the fire. Got us some of that fine, legal Oregon herb. Actually, we got a lot of Oregon uh, extract lately. Of course, we recently had our... our our uh, harvest out here this last uh, season and a lot of the growers 
you know, have a ton of residual trim. You got the leaves, you know, the fan leaves and and uh, sugar buds, you know, little popcorn buds and stuff. And most people out here get that stuff processed. Get that all processed, either a butane process or a ice water hash or alcohol soak or live rosin press kind of thing. And, um, you know, so we get a lot of dabs out here. And it's kind of a it's an interesting phenomenon that happens. I, I, I'm kind of noticing now how uh, how frequent dabbing makes a difference uh, compared to frequent use of flour. Because I'm, I'm a joint smoking guy, right? I, I'm usually the guy that's smoking joints. But over the past I don't know, couple of weeks, I've been doing dabs instead. And one of the things I notice about it is when you switch back to the flour, you switch back to joints, you get that. It's like. It's like that first time you tried to smoke and you were never a smoker before and, and you're like, oh, my God, it's smoky and it makes you kind of cough and irritate your throat. It's that, you know, that burning hydrocarbon effect that you don't get with dabs because, you know, you're not dealing with any plant material when you deal with the dabs. And and it takes some getting used to getting back into smoking cigarette or smoking the joints, you know, and, and dealing with the, the smoke aspect. So uh, it's just something I noticed. And um I got to stop doing so many dabs and get back to the uh, flour because I, I like the taste of flour. I, I like it. Although there's been uh, one extract we've been uh, using lately. I'm going to have to ask the grower uh, what went into this because have you ever done a, a dab or a, a, a extract that had kind of like a wintergreen taste? Almost like um, like some mouthwash. Like when you take a mouthwash and after you've used the mouthwash, there's that back kind of feeling of that wintergreen these dabs i've been doing lately have this kind of wintergreen feel to them and I, I maybe one of the smart trichome people out there can tell me you know what what uh what uh, uh terpene is causing that but I, I really like the taste of it so love to find that out all right uh on today's uh hour two we're going to talk a little bit more about those nfl suspensions because you know got the nfl playoffs coming up the mighty 13-time world champion Green Bay Packers will be hosting Eli Manning and the New York football giants. And I have a strict no Manning policy. I don't like the Mannings. <clears throat> I don't even like Cooper Manning. If you don't know who Cooper Manning is, then uh, do some research. <laughs> I don't even like Cooper. But anyway, uh, the playoffs are coming up. And so I thought it would be fun to take a look at how many, just how many players have been suspended for marijuana use in the NFL. And there's a problem with that is I can't tell you. Uh, I found a list up on Wikipedia. And it's a list for violations of the substance abuse policies, but it's lumping together the performance enhancing drugs with the substances of abuse like marijuana or cocaine or anything. But this list, looking at this list, it's got, let's see, it's got almost... um, Hundred and three, yeah, three hundred eighty. Just about three hundred and eighty players listed, and this list only dates back to nineteen eighty three. <laughs> so, huge list, folks. We'll dig a little bit deeper into this when we come back. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. 
The cannabis industry is growing, business is booming, and as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. It's time to Hemp Resent. I am going to titillate your audio orifices with weekly radio rendezvous with some of the premier movers, shakers, and history makers of the cannabis community. Radio resident Hempo Sapien Vivian McPeak. I will be putting out a call to action on the issues of the day and putting your interests under the big lights as I provide cannabis commentary and weekly interviews that go straight for the nugular. Marijuana! Hemp Resents, only on Cannabis Radio. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals, or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. About nine after the hour here, we were talking about NFL, National Football League, and their suspension of Randy Gregory for the rest of the year the defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys. Suspension for an entire year, so he won't make the playoffs uh, because he smoked pot. And we went into this to try to find you know, who uh, how many people had been busted for smoking pot and we can't really know uh, because they've mixed up the uh, performance enhancing drugs uh, list with the list of people suspended for substance abuse. So I'd have to go through the list and, you know, one by one find them. But I can uh, give you a couple of these that I can I can tell you about. The, a lot of them are performance enhancing drug fo- uh, suspensions, but um Chantrell Henderson, offensive tackle for the Buffalo Bills, he got 10 games uh for his second uh suspension. It's 4 games for the first, 10 games for the second, and a year for the third. Is generally the way this goes for the suspensions. Now, Chantrell, uh, he made news because he has Crohn's disease. 
and he's been using cannabis to treat his Crohn's disease, and that cost him 10 games. And don't forget, when it costs these guys 10 games, it also costs them the paycheck from those games. So these guys could be losing hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars when they get suspended for this. Uh, who else? Randy Gregory. He's got the 10 game suspension that happened uh, in September. Now he's suspended uh, for the year. So a lot of these people uh, are double entered. Le'Veon Bell, uh, the wide uh, the running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, who's one of the top rushers in the uh, in the league. He got suspended. Josh Gordon, of course, from the Cleveland Browns. He had numerous suspensions he had to deal with. And and we could go through the list, but keep in mind that when we're talking about these drug suspensions for people that are smoking pot, four games is what you're going to get, minimum. You're going to get four games. That's how bad the NFL thinks your pot smoking is, is they're going to knock you out for a quarter of a season. One-fourth of your paycheck gone if they catch a smoking pot. Meanwhile, meanwhile, if you are Prince Shembo, he's a linebacker uh, for, who does he play for? A linebacker for Baltimore, I think. Let's see if we can get the, uh, get the, oh yeah, here we go. Yeah, uh, Atlanta. He's Atlanta Falcons. So Prince Shembo is a linebacker for the uh, Atlanta Falcons. He got a two-game suspension because he abducted and killed his girlfriend's dog using blunt force trauma. So you can beat your girlfriend's dog to death to terrorize her. That's going to get you half the suspension of smoking pot. Of course, Tom Brady, uh, quarterback for the uh, Patriots, he got a four game suspension for the deflate gate scandal where he was uh, found to have allowed footballs to be underinflated during a championship game. And uh, he appealed that and then it was reinstated. So he got he got the same suspension for doctoring the equipment to cheat in a championship game as a guy gets for smoking pot. Also this year, there was a three-game suspension for the Cincinnati Bengals linebacker Vontaze Burfecht. Vontaze Burfecht got three games for repeated violations of safety-related playing rules. That means basically he's a headhunter. You know, he's launching his body and spearing and, and you know hitting defenseless receivers in the head. You know, the kind of the kind of things that can cause lifetime paraplegia. You can paralyze a guy acting like Vontae's Burfecht has and had been doing so, so much. He'd done it so repeatedly. They finally hit him with a three game suspension. Three games. So continually engaging in actions that could paralyze other players. Three games. Smoking pot. Four. Odell Beckham Jr. got a one game suspension for a helmet to helmet uh, hit. One game. Run your helmet into another guy's head as hard as you can do it. One game, smoke pot, four games. The uh, defensive end, I.K. Enemkpali. 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 I can't pronounce his name. (laughs) The guy's name is I.K. something. 
Defensive end for the Buffalo Bills, he was suspended four games. No, he didn't smoke pot. No, no. What he did was punch the New York Jets quarterback, Geno Smith, in the locker room and break his jaw. So you can you can break your quarterback's jaw. That's going to get you four games or you, you could smoke pot and that'll that'll get you four games. Jonathan Dwyer, he's a running back. Uh, he's a free agent now. He got a three game suspension back in 2015 for beating his girlfriend. He got arrested for domestic violence. Three games. Good thing he didn't smoke pot. Would have cost him four. What else? Oh, uh, Greg Hardy. Uh, He's a defensive end for the Dallas Cowboys. Back in 2015, he got a 10-game suspension for domestic violence, but then they decided to reduce that to four games. Just four games. Dominic Rayola, a center for the Detroit Lions, and Ndamukong Su, a defensive tackle for the Detroit Lions, the two of them... Both uh, got suspended when they stomped on the leg of a player who was already down. They got one game suspensions. So stomp on a guy's leg one game, smoke some pot, you're out for four. What else do we got here? Oh, more repeated violations of player safety policy. All these repeated violations of player safety policy. The headhunters, the guys that could paralyze somebody, they're all getting one-game suspensions as you look through the list. Let's see. Um, We had uh, off-field arrests, uh, two arrests. uh, Aaron Barry, a cornerback, he got got arrested twice in the 2012 offseason. That cost him three whole games. Uh, let's see, stomping on a Green Bay Packers lineman, that was Ndamukong Su, who did it again, he got two games for that, so twice, Ndamukong Su has stomped on players who were already down, and for both of those, total, he's gotten less time than if he'd smoked pot. We've got, um... Let's see. Conduct detrimental to the team. Plaxico Burris, of course, got four games when he uh, shot a a gun that was in the waistband of his uh, sweats at a nightclub. That got him four games, you know, similar to if he had smoked pot. The uh, um, attacking a Stripper, there's what alleged possession of firearms. Chris Henry, wide receiver with the Bengals, got a possession of firearms charge. That cost him two whole games. Uh Ricky Manning, quarterback for the cornerback from the Bears. Domestic violence, one game. Uh, a lot of these domestic violence ones, uh, one game. Uh, Leonardo, Leonardo Carson, he was a defensive tackle for the Dallas Cowboys back in 2004. He got one game suspension for being convicted of burglary and kidnapping, (laughs) convicted of burglary and kidnapping one game suspension. That's all. We've got, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct, uh, a a brawl, one game suspension for guys, um, conduct detrimental to the team and so forth it's just uh, it's just so hypocritical of the nfl 
And, and of course, remember the Ray Rice incident. You remember that incident when Ray Rice was on video punching his girlfriend, knocking her out? Remember how he got two games for that? Two whole games. Whatever you do, don't smoke the pot. So players that are getting multiple violations of, of safety procedures, multiple violations, are getting one, two, and three game suspensions. But your first suspension for marijuana is four games. Your second is 10 games. Your third is a year. You know, maybe if we let more of these players smoke some pot, they'd chill out a little and beat their girlfriends less. You think maybe? It's just unconscionable what we are allowing to transpire in the National Football League by refusing to allow these players to smoke pot or at least not testing for it. I I don't expect the NFL to all of a sudden say, hey, you know what? Pot's great. Go ahead. Smoke it all. We love it. It's good for you. I'm not expecting that. But they could at least do like the National Hockey League and just not test for it. What are we solving by testing for it? It's like what they're worried about is the how how the league will look. But if you weren't testing these guys for pot, nobody would know that they're smoking pot unless they got arrested. And then you could be suspending them for the arrest for getting busted for something. And at least that would protect the players in the medical states and in the legal states. I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. I mean, we've now got the Seattle Seahawks, Los Angeles Rams, Oakland Raiders, San Diego Chargers, San Francisco 49ers. Of course, Oakland may move to Las Vegas, but that'll still be the same. New England Patriots. We got six teams in the NFL. Seven Denver Broncos. Seven teams in the NFL playing where marijuana is legal now. We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Mindful of sustainable practices and limiting their environmental footprint, Sansal hemp is always grown outdoors, as nature intended. By starting with uniform genetic profiles, Sansal ensures the plant will maintain its optimal performance and yield consistently throughout its life cycle. It is through innovative processes that Sansal is able to achieve pure whole hemp extracts and meet industry requirements and the level of quality desired by many of their customers. Healthy plants, healthy people. SansalCBD.com. Improve your lifestyle naturally. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. 
hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you had yourselves a great safety meeting. I know I'm feeling safer. 22 after the hour. Actually, let's call it 23. And I'm going through this story out in Houston, Texas, about how the new Harris County Sheriff, Ed Gonzalez, has expressed support for no longer busting people for weed. Following in the uh, in the footsteps of the new Harris County District Attorney, her name's Kim Og, and Og says, "quote I never felt it was fair to put users in jail with murderers." Well, that's awfully nice, yeah, District Attorney Og, and the uh, new sheriff there, Ed Gonzalez, says uh, he supports that idea. Uh, he was on Dean Becker's radio show, uh, by the way, Drug Truth Network with the. Uh, with uh, Dean Becker is just awesome programming. Check it out at drugtruth.net. And uh, Becker says it's the ability of elected officials to say what they want, what they really think without the fear of public reaction that has opened this door. And so what they're proposing here is kind of this lowest law enforcement priority attitude that we're not going to go out of our way to bust people. And if we do, we'll, we'll seize it and we'll give them a warning and send them on their way. And it's not just Houston that's doing this. There's other cities that have, you know, instituted decriminalization for 10 grams or 15 grams, or sometimes even a whole ounce under the city code. It'll make it a municipal violation. And it doesn't even really force the cops to not arrest you because they can always go back to the state law and arrest you under that. But this has been happening in Memphis and Nashville and it's, you know, uh, areas around, you know, some of the suburbs of Chicago and a lot of places where the city, which is usually underfunded and has bigger fish to fry, is trying to find some way of not having to round up, lock up and deal with marijuana consumers. And they get frustrated at the city level. Because generally in the cities, people are a little more progressive, people a little more tolerant, accepting. And generally, if you were just going to take votes in cities, you could pass decrim. You could pass legalization. In fact, lots of cities have done this, pass their own legalization. It's usually a symbolic measure. Like in Denver, Denver passed a symbolic legalization before they ever passed the full state legalization. There were 30 different cities in Massachusetts that passed non-binding public policy questions on legalization. There's a bunch of cities in Michigan that have decriminalized. In Ohio, there are six cities where the possession of up to 200 grams cannot be punished. There's, they didn't change the crime. It's still a crime, but there's no fine and no jail time. So, like, we caught you. You broke the law. Bad, bad citizen. That's all they can do. <laughs> they can't find you. They can't arrest you. They can't, uh, they can't put you in jail. So it's happening at the municipal level. It's happening city by city. Even if it's just symbolic, it's representing the fact that these cities understand that there's far better re uh, uses of scarce police and city resources than having to warehouse potheads. But this is where it gets 
weird to me because sometimes you'll find people that are in support of decrim or are just wavering in their support of prohibition. And it always comes for them. It, it comes down to, well, we shouldn't be locking up marijuana users with murderers, but they can't go so far as to just accept legalization, right? They, they need it to stay illegal. <clears throat> and the reason why is because this has nothing to do with public safety, has everything to do with the culture war. When these people say, oh, you know, it, I've never thought that we should lock up pot smokers with murderers. They're saying we need a lighter alternative for punishing the pot smokers. They're not saying pun- pot smokers shouldn't be punished. They're still saying there needs to be some punishment, official disapproval, legal remedies for pot smoking. And the reason why, when I really think about it, is that I think that there's a very, very few people that actually think that pot smoking is bad, that, that, that it's really detrimental societally, right? There's, there's more that will think, yeah, if you smoke pot, you're going to be stupid, you're going to be lazy, whatever. But on a societal basis, generally when you ask people, their attitude is, well, look, I don't care if you smoke pot, as long as you're doing it in your home and you're not driving my kid's school bus and you're not coming to work high, you're not driving on the road, smoking a joint. I don't care. That's what most people's attitude is. It, but, but it's a very keep it in the closet attitude. It's like uh, uh, as long as I don't see it, I don't have a problem with it. And that's why they want to maintain illegality, because they know once marijuana becomes legal, it will be seen. We will have to acknowledge that there are people smoking pot out there. We'll have to accept it. And that's a bridge too far for some of these people. They're fine with marijuana as long as it's just decrim. As long as if we see it, we can still punish you. If you're out in public with it, we can still punish you. And this is the best of all possible solutions for those types of people. Because they don't really want to spend the money on the raids and the prisons and the jail and the cop time and the courts and the probation and all the drug testing and all that stuff. They don't want to waste their money on that. They just want to make sure that the potheads stay invisible, that the pot remains evil, disgusting, dirty, wrong, something to be looked down upon. And that's that's where we're starting to also see the the tension in the legal marijuana states because in the legal marijuana states, the passage of these laws had a lot to do with that attitude, right? There's too many people on our side who think that when their state passed marijuana legalization, it meant that everybody in the state or at least a majority in the state thought pot smoking was a okay, right? Like uh, let's just take Oregon for example, cause I'm here we passed legalization with 56%. The people of Oregon support marijuana. No, no, not really. What happened is 56% of the people agreed that a taxed and regulated marijuana structure was superior to prohibition. That does not translate to that 56% thought pot was neato keen. Right? There's a lot of people that are voting for legalization that don't particularly like pot don't want to see pot shops, don't want to see a lot of pot commerce. They just thought that prison was worse. 
prohibition was worse. And so there's this danger as we move forward. If we think that we're more popular than we really are, we may overreach and we'll get a backlash from that subset of voters who weren't pro-legalization. They were just anti-prohibition. That's something that's got me concerned every week as I see more and more developments in the marijuana green rush. And I, and I also worry about how we continually defend and sell legalization purely as an economic uh, issue. I mean, we get the latest report out from RQ. Uh, marijuana is going to be a $22 billion industry by 2021. Oh, Colorado's pulled in $200 million in tax revenue. Oh, the green rush has produced 18,000 jobs in Colorado. And all these investors and all these uh, government agencies and all of these employees and people that want to see this economic engine work. I worry about pegging the acceptance of legalization to economic metrics. Because the price of marijuana is going to crash. We're setting up these markets. We're setting up these investments. We're setting up these business plans. We're setting up these budget forecasts, all based on prohibition pricing. We're forecasting this based on the idea that wholesalers will be able to get $1,000 a pound and retailers will be able to sell for $10 a gram. And that's not going to last much longer. I, I, I can see that price crashing real fast especially as California gets online. So what happens then when the 10th state, let's say, to fight for marijuana legalization? Let's say it's, uh, oh, I don't know, we got Michigan coming up in 2018, but let's say by 2020, somebody like Arizona is trying again or New Mexico or something like that. And they're trying to legalize marijuana. And then they can go back and when we make the, the economic estimates, you know, in the in the voters pamphlet or the voters guide and we say, hey, well, New Mexico is going to produce X number of pounds and it's going to generate Y million dollars in in fees and Z million dollars in profits and so forth. And we make those promises to the voters. By the time 2020 rolls around. Those kind of promises might not we might not be able to fulfill them if the price of weed is getting down to five hundred dollars a pound on the wholesale, two fifty a pound on the wholesale, less. Then I worry about as that natural price crash happens because of the increased availability and production of cannabis, as that price crash happens, how much will the governments and the corporations that have made all their budget forecasts based on expensive weed, how much are they going to fight to keep that price up there artificially? How much is the industry going to end up being in support of, say, no home grow? Can you imagine? I can. I can imagine quite easily it getting around, and it would be tougher in Colorado because it's a constitutional amendment, but in a state like Oregon, where all the sales are going on and Three, four years from now, the price of weed crashes. And then all these cities and counties that were expecting to make so much in their taxes that are based on a percentage of the sales price, see those tax revenues falling through the floor. And all these businesses that set themselves up 
starting to see their profits decrease and actually starting to lose money. How many of them are going to start lobbying the legislature to take away home grow rights? How many of them are going to make the case that, hey, we're losing all this money because the price is crashing. And and if we don't eliminate home grow, the price will crash even further. And we'll make even less money. I worry about pegging the success of the marijuana movement to economic matrixes just because if the economy changes, it could incentivize policy changes that are beneficial to the business, beneficial to the tax revenue, and detrimental to us consumers. We'll keep our eye on it, and we're going to do everything we can to protect the right of home grow, to expand the right of home grow, to eliminate these dispensary protectionism home grow halos that we find in Arizona and Nevada and North Dakota and Arkansas and, well, not yet in Arkansas, but New Hampshire is the one I was thinking of. They want to institute a 30-mile home grow halo, which is better than no home grow they have, but still... Why should how close I live to some dispensary determine whether or not I have the right to cultivate cannabis? Why should I be a criminal just because some business moved in close to me? This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. We love it. I'm Radical Russ Belville, inviting you to join me every weekday on CannabisRadio.com for the Russ Belville Show. It's the NPR of POT. We bring you the latest marijuana headlines, cannabis analysis, drug war data, activist interviews, radical rants, and your live calls. Join me every weekday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, live only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show, providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. 
only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everyone. 38 and a half after the hour. And uh, interesting note I got through my Twitter feed here from the folks at Vice. You know, the uh, Vice Channel and Vice News and all that. Well, the folks at Vice have put up 520 hours of Donald Trump interviews, complete with a search function and a video editor. (laughs) So I will be making my way out to that search on Donald Trump to find out everything he has ever said about marijuana. We'll see what we can find here uh, in the Donald Trump uh, search. We'll see where they've got the search feature here. Uh, doesn't say. Let's see. La, 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 la. Growing repository of over 520 hours of Donald Trump. Oh, it's at the Internet Archive. I'm sorry, not Vice. Uh, motherboard was reporting on this, and now they've got the Trump Archive. And let's see if we can search anything he may have said about marijuana. We'll bring that up and uh, get the word straight from the president-elect himself. On, uh, <laughs> let's see, see if that'll pull up. Oh, there's a whole bunch of them here. Let's see. Uh, we have Trump and on the O'Reilly factor, uh, all sorts of things. All right. Well, we will take a look at this um, during our off time and see if we can bring up some uh, sound clips for you on tomorrow's show from the archive of Donald Trump interviews. How much fun could that be? Hmm. All right. Also, uh, in the news, we wanted to um, remind you of the Delta 9 Studios and our guest room that we have here. If you're interested in checking out beautiful legal potland, Oregon, you want to come out just to see what legalization is like, take a little vacation, enjoy legal marijuana, you can actually book our guest room here at Delta 9 Studios. And uh, just send me an email. RadicalRuss at gmail.com. The spots are filling up quick. We have daily rates. We have weekly rates if you want to stay a whole week. And uh, you get your own private room. And it's a kind of a shared bathroom shower situation. And you can also uh, come on down and watch me do the show if you want. We're close to the bus lines. And that'll take you right downtown. And you can have all the fun in Portland you could possibly shake a stick at. And you can be high while you do it. Just email me, RadicalRuss at gmail.com. I already got a couple of uh, fans from North Carolina who have e- emailed me, might be coming out, so that'll be a lot of fun. And and to uh, to remind you, I mean, we're absolutely serious about this. I remember meeting Bacon Dan when he first uh, came out, and he, he said he was moving out to Portland, and I said, come on, check out the show, and he didn't believe me. And it's like, no, really, come check out the show. <laughs> we're a friendly group here at Delta 9 Studios, so please join us here, and, and uh, we'll be... Glad to have you. Also, uh, looking forward to next week's shows. On Monday, we're going to have the new executive director from the Colorado Cannabis Chamber of Commerce. Her name is Laura Harris. She used to be in charge of the state's marijuana enforcement division. So she's moved from regulator to um, advocate. This will be an interesting interview. So that's coming up on Monday. Make sure you check that out right here on the Russ Belleville Show live exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. Now, as far as the uh, the next topic I want to talk about here has to do with this uh, teen perception. 
It's a, a study that came out last week, and we ranted on it last week, and it was this look at whether or not legalization has led more teenagers to smoke weed. And what we found nationally is no. And what we found in Colorado is no. But they went and looked at Washington, and in Washington State, they found a change. Not amongst all the teenagers, just the old, just the youngest ones. The 8th and 10th graders, they seem to have a little bit of an increase. 12th graders stayed the same. And their study, you know, it, it really is more of an exception than a rule. <laughs> when you're looking at just only two grades in one state where there was a change, it doesn't really suggest that there's a problem going on here. But to the media's uh, eyes, that's not the case. The media, of course, is interested in publishing anything salacious they can about the legalization of marijuana. So when this one study finds younger teenagers with an increase in marijuana use, despite the fact that there's other states that have had increases in marijuana use that haven't legalized, and those other states have had greater increases in marijuana use than Washington state, nevertheless, we're going to focus like a laser on just those 8th and 10th graders in Washington and pretend there's something terrible, terrible going on. But the fact is, trying to gauge whether or not kids are going to use pot based on how legal it is or how harmful they think it is, is a fool's errand. The number one thing they find that determines whether or not kids are going to smoke pot is whether or not their parents smoke pot. Number two is whether or not their parents disapprove of smoking pot. Number three is how active is that kid in extracurricular activities? When you look at things like the price, the legality, or the perception of harm, those three things rank among the lowest things that shape a, a teenager's use of marijuana. They're, they're among the lowest. I mean, you get guys like uh, like uh, Kleiman out there at New York University that want to keep the price of weed high so that the kids don't use it, which ignores how kids get and use marijuana. They pool their money together and they buy a bag. If the bag was cheaper, they'd still just be buying the bag because they don't have the direct access to it. There's, there's a pinch point there, and that's the guy, whoever it is that's the guy that sells the marijuana. And in fact, if the marijuana were to get cheaper, there'd be fewer of the guy out there. It'd be tougher to make a living being the guy. So trying to keep the marijuana price high just ensures that the guy stays in business. And if the guy stays in business, that ensures that the kids still have access to marijuana. And as, as for this idea of their perception of harm, this is something that the prohibitionists are freaking out about because indeed we have seen across the nation teenagers perception that the regular use of marijuana is risky or harmful has declined precipitously. Hell, 20, 30 years ago, you'd have 75 to 90% of the kids, depending on your age group there, you'd have a lot of them 
vast majorities of kids back in the 80s and 90s who would say, if you regularly smoke pot, that's really risky. Well, yeah, because back in the 80s and 90s, for the most part, there was no medical marijuana. There was people who didn't smoke pot and there was potheads who were destined for heroin. That's it. And think of the message we were getting in the 80s and the 90s. We had Ronald Reagan telling the kids that smoking pot, even one marijuana cigarette was equal in brain damage to the radiation damage you'd get from an A-bomb. That was the president saying that smoking pot is as bad as nuclear fallout. We had the this is your brain on drugs commercial with the frying egg. We had the the crack cocaine epidemic that everybody said, you know, marijuana is the gateway drug. Boy, you smoke marijuana. Next thing you know, you're on crack. Or in the 90s, it was meth, but whatever. Now it's heroin, but whatever. It's always marijuana is going to lead you to this terrible thing. So, yeah, of course, the kids thought it was harmful. Of course, 75 to 90 percent of them say, yeah, that's awful. That's terrible. If I told you that petting kittens would give you AIDS, you'd think kittens were harmful. If I thought if I told you that owning a puppy led to a six times greater risk of you being hit by a car, you'd think puppies were harmful. So the fact that the kids are thinking marijuana is less harmful these days doesn't tell us anything. But the fact that they're getting accurate information now. That they're actually being told the truth about marijuana. And sure, their perception of risk is going to fall. Once medical marijuana laws come into effect and they see middle-aged and older people who smoke pot every day to deal with Crohn's disease or multiple sclerosis or cancer or PTSD or anxiety or whatever it might be, and those adults go to work, drive a car, function just fine, raise kids, earn money, go on vacation, live regular lives, doesn't look like the marijuana use is harming them. In fact... What remains of young people's perception of the risk of marijuana use is artificial, artificial risk, the risk of getting caught, the risk of going to jail, the risk of being fined, the risk of losing your scholarship, the risk of losing your job. That what is what remains for the harm of regular marijuana use. So that's it's just a ignorant way of trying to determine what's going on with kids and their use of marijuana. Because we don't have an accurate baseline. We're starting with an artificial baseline. Now, once we get legalization in a bunch of states. And we take a look at what their perception of harm is now. And compare that to 20 years from now. Then maybe we've got something valid to talk about. Because we'd be starting with a baseline of marijuana is legal. Adults can use it. And we're getting accurate scientific and medical information about cannabis then in 20 years if their perception of harm has declined if their use has gone up then we got something to talk about but right now we're just setting the baselines we can't go back and look at what perceptions of harm and use rates were and and problematic use and how many people are overdosing and how many accidental ingestions there were and how much cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. We can't look at any of those things with data that's based in the eighties or nineties because of the confounding variable of getting caught and remaining secret. 
lately the big story has been this cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. All these kids puking, all these people puking from their regular cannabis use. And the first few reports on this hyped it by saying, oh, my God, there's been a spike in this in this illness. There's been a spike. It's been it's doubled. It's really, oh, my God, people freaking out. But lately, the last couple of reports I've seen on this have mentioned that this may not be going up. It just may be we're getting more accurate classification of it. Because in the old days, when someone came in puking all the time and the doctor would say, well, do you use any drugs? The person would say, well, no, no, not me. I don't use any drugs. But now when the person comes in puking, the doctor can say, well, how much cannabis do you use? And the person can honestly answer, oh, well, I smoke pot every day or or whatever they answer. So when we're talking about kids being poisoned, you know, the accidental ingestions of edibles, the dogs getting into the pot cookies. Those aren't spiking either. We're just more likely to get accurate reporting on them. It's no longer the kids got food poisoning or the dog must have ate some chocolate. We can be accurate and honest with our physicians and veterinarians about what's going on with cannabis. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. Do you want to get in on the booming cannabis industry? With new frontier data, we give industry insiders the power of big data analytics to help navigate this rapidly growing and changing landscape. New Frontier's tools help you make critical decisions based on the facts. Our industry analyst reports reveal the best opportunities. Our custom research engagements deliver answers to the most difficult questions. And our cutting-edge big data platform, Equio, puts real-time information and answers you need right at your fingertips. Go to www.equio.io and sign up for your free membership today. That's eqio.io.io to sign up now. The power of real-time big data is now in your hands. Run with New Frontier and let us help you conquer the wild. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com.
Hello, Mr. Man. Hi. I'm doing... I'm, I'm working. Sorry. No food till this is done. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Just checking out the chat room as we wind things up. And uh, folks were mentioning the old stoned rabbit story. If you didn't hear this one, this is back in 2015. Um, it was uh, it, it went down in Utah. They were considering uh, an edibles bill. And then according to uh, testimony that was presented at the Utah Senate, the... Uh, State's wildlife may cultivate a taste for the plant, lose their fear of humans, and basically be high all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's funny as hell. Uh, let's see if we can pull up the audio from that, because they've got a, a list of the audio. And we'll see if that website will come up for us. It's about the 58-minute mark, according to the uh, timestamp in the Washington Post story. Let's see if we can make that happen here. 57, 56, there we go. Uh, come on, pull up, pull up. All right, so it's an audio-only hearing, and I'll see if I can get the uh, the sound up for this one. This is from the state of Utah in uh, 2015 as they were discussing the possibility of a medical edibles bill. On certain things, such as keeping the drugs out of the hands of children, preventing it from being diverted to outside agencies, and preventing the revenue from going to criminal um, enterprises, gangs, and cartels. That's what they're going to focus their prosecution on. And so the credit unions and the banks are very, very nervous about trying to bank the funds, and it's one of the reasons why they were they tried to develop a way to pay for the marijuana. This is um, Matt Fairbanks, by the way, with the DEA. In this fashion. So we'll work with the sponsor and see if there is some way we can come up with, but at this point we would have difficulty with the bill. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank All you, right. Commissioner. Uh, public safety, was there a representative from public safety that uh, Here we is go. going to speak? Please. This is the Utah Senate from 2015. DEA agent, Special Agent Matt Fairbanks will be speaking. I thought that would come up a little quicker than this. Let's see if we can fast forward a bit. Go to the facts. You look at a chart that shows marijuana used by children between the ages of 12 and 17, specifically medical marijuana states, which are outlined in red. You can see that it is increased among every unknown. The deforestation has left marijuana grows with even rabbits that had cultivated a taste for the marijuana where one of them refused to leave us and we took all the marijuana around him, but his natural instincts to run were somehow gone. Now, we members of law enforcement don't know what to expect in regard to this bill. We don't know how to protect our backcountry. We don't see any provision for enforcement in order to see that BLM, forest, Park areas are not overrun by this new cash crop. One of the biggest grows I saw was about six miles outside of Ephraim. There was 25,000 marijuana plants back there. We need time to examine this bill. 
We need to understand what it means so that we can protect our society as well as our environment. And as such, I ask that this bill be sent to interim committee to be looked at. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, if we could... Uh, to the the rabbits had cultivated right a taste for pot, according to the DEA. One of them refused to leave us, and we took all the marijuana around him, but his natural instincts to run were somehow gone. <laughs> well, I don't know that the occasional stoned bunny is reason enough to deny a life-saving medicine to a human being, but if you were expecting logic from the DEA, you came to the wrong place. That's all the time we got for today. Thanks for joining us, and thank you, chat room, for reminding me about the stoned bunnies. <laughs> for everyone here at Delta 9 Studios and CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers! This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.